Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Good, it's good to be back. Um, it's been probably a month since you've seen me. Um, but yeah, good to see you all again. Um, <clears throat> it's been beautiful service so far. I think it's actually going to really tie into um, what I felt to share today. So um, yeah, sit back. Um, relax? No. <laughs> um, whatever brain capacity you have this morning, um, yeah, I hope um, that God uh, speaks directly to your heart today. Um, but first, have you ever had a point in your life where you've seen a view and you've been overwhelmed? You've been in the mountains, you've seen a lake, or you've been by the beach and it's crystal clear turquoise water. Or you've been in a city, and even that is just amazing at sunset. Um, for me, I've just been travelling around New Zealand for three weeks, and I think the whole time I was overwhelmed <laughs> by how beautiful the country is, and uh, just in awe of, of just the country. I remember there was a point, um, my favourite spot was Kaikoura on the South Island, probably not pronouncing that right, <laughs> but um, it was insane. It had um, a snow-capped mountain range, go down into like a tropical rainforest and then all of a sudden it was like a black beach and like crystal clear water with dolphins and whales and we were there eating a fish burger <laughs> and you're just, you're, you're just sitting there and you just cannot fathom everything that's in front of you. Um, today the reading is from Revelation and I feel like John had that same feeling of overwhelm. Um, particularly when he sees the vision of Christ, um, which we'll look at today. Um, if you do have your Bibles with you or your phone, um, yeah, strongly encourage you today, just because it's Revelation, um, it can get a bit, um, a bit much. <laughs> Great, so I'll start reading uh, from Revelation 1, um, 12 to 20. I have the NIV version. So Revelation 1, 12 to 20. So this is John um, recording what he saw in a vision. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches." There you go. Welcome to Revelation. <laughs> um, forgive me, I must preface, um, I did an essay on this, so if I get too technical or if, 
I don't know, dis displays, wave in the sea. No, <laughs> bit too exegetical. Perfect. But the fact is, I didn't really read Revelation until I studied it at Malian because I avoided it. I was like, this seems like a really complicated, really confusing book. And I think that's true for most of us. Revelation just seems overwhelming. And I think it's overwhelming because it's hard to believe that the book of Revelation is real. I don't know, in the same way that you can't fathom a glorious view and you can't fathom something amazing in front of you. It's hard to fathom a book that just speaks of fantastical things all the time. And in the same way, I feel like John was overwhelmed because he was trying to keep up with the vision in front of him and he was limited with human words and human understanding. So I think that's why he was like, eyes like fire, bronze feet. <laughs> he was trying really quickly to keep up with what he saw. So it's hard to believe that revelation is real with our own limited human understanding. Secondly, I feel like revelation is hard to understand. It's hard Greek words, and there's words in revelation in Greek that only occur in revelation. They don't occur anywhere else in the New Testament. So the Greek is quite hard, and scholars mention that too. Secondly, there's a lot of views on how you can interpret the book of Revelation which um, change the whole perspective on how it's understood. And also in that, Revelation requires a lot of Old Testament knowledge. It requires a lot of Greek, I'm sorry, of Jewish background knowledge, and it also requires a lot of historical knowledge to understand what was going on at the time. Revelation is hard to understand. I have this quote here from a scholar. Revelation is filled with strange creatures otherworldly imagery and scenes that we find difficult to imagine and decipher. It demands that we use our imaginations and we're not really used to doing that when reading the Bible. Revelation is written in a genre of literature we're not used to reading and therefore don't distinctively know how to read or understand it. So that's that point, the second point there. The third point, when we come to Revelation, do you ask the question, how can this book be relevant today? I feel like there's two spectrums to that question. You often hear of people who are hypersensitive to revelation and they're with their conspiracy theories and whenever there's an earthquake, it's, oh, it's happening tomorrow. I was at a conference one time and there was a lady next to me who, um, I was pretty young too, and she had a whole notebook filled out of every earthquake, of every tsunami, of um, all the political leaders. And it was almost like a, a crazy scribble. And that was overwhelming. And she was pointing to um, verses in Revelation. In Revelation and I, I thought, surely, surely that's not it. Surely that's not what the book is about. But then I feel at the other end, there's people who completely disregard Revelation and think, oh no, it's an old piece of literature. It's too, um, it's a different genre, it was of that time. It's not really relevant to my faith or anything today. So where do you kind of sit in that understanding? Just think to yourself, have you ever spent a much time in Revelation at all? But I was thinking, surely God didn't include a book in the Bible that was not real 
that was hard to understand and not relevant for today. Surely, I don't think God would allow that to happen. So let's read it again in light of that and just let yourself be caught up in your imagination um, and not be swept up in logic or reason, but just let the words and the vision come to you. From verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstand was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. We'll pause there for a moment. See, if we take that and kind of have a different mindset now, that God has included this piece of scripture because it is real, because it can be understood, and because it is relevant today. Let's see how we can read it differently now. So to look at the historical context, to help us understand that this was a real letter written for a real occasion. John was imprisoned on the island of Patmos, which we can read in verse nine as well. He was there, it's debated if he was there because he was evangelizing or if he was actually stuck in prison. Both are plausible. But at the time, there was a lot of persecution. Um, The Roman Empire was starting to ramp up their local persecution on the church. And there was a lot of emperor worship, a lot of cult worship that was happening at the time too. So people were forced to worship the emperor at a cost of um, their money, um, potentially denouncing their faith, and a few other things like that. So that's like the immediate historical context of Revelation. So John receives this vision in the midst of the persecuted church. But I think another thing that's helpful to understand Revelation is understanding the genre. If you think for a second, if you watched a documentary with the lens of, oh, this is going to be a musical, you'd probably be very disappointed. (laughs) Or if you watched a musical in the lens of, oh, this is a historical, um, historical drama you'd be very disappointed because you come at the film with a preset understanding of what it should be. So I think for me personally, when I came to Revelation, I had no idea what genre it was. So here we can find out it is a New Testament apocalyptic literature. It's also prophetic and it's also a letter. So what happens when apocalyptic literature meets prophecy meets a letter? you get a letter that reveals a revelation of a source or of a person. So the apocalyptic means, the Greek word really does mean revelation. So the revelation of Jesus Christ is the source of the revelation. The prophecy comes into play when Jesus, when the the literature is writing about Jesus being the the person and the point of revelation. And then the letter 
is that John was writing to address the seven churches at the time. See, all those three things at once, simultaneously happening, it is quite a complex and quite um, a confusing genre, for sure. It's important, though, that with the um, revelation being um, the point of which the unveiling of the spiritual reality comes into play. If you've read any apocalyptic literature or sci-fi films, you'll see that there's often an a alternate reality happening at the same time. So this is how I interpret Revelation, is this is the alternate re- reality that's happening, um, that has happened, happening, and will happen. Um, so that's an important tension to hold to. Sorry, if we jump to verse 12, just to look at the vision that John receives. So he starts off saying, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. Have you ever had that before where you turn around to see something or see someone that was speaking to you? But then when he turns around, he sees seven golden lampstands. Can you imagine how that would just throw you off for a second, wouldn't it? So you see seven golden lampstands. And a key point in this text is the repetition of the numbers as well. So seven being the perfect holy number. So he turns around and sees seven golden lampstands. In verse 13, And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. To go to the title, Son of Man, I often think of the references in the Gospels of around Easter time. Um, The Son of Man was um, dead, buried, um, and to be resurrected. But actually, it refers here to the Old Testament background, and it refers to Daniel seeing the visions that he saw um, in his dreams. So in Daniel 7.13, he says... In my vision that night I looked and there before me, like one, a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. So that's the first reference of son of man. So here I feel like John in his perfect Jewish theology, in his perfect Jewish worldview, this is initially what he's thinking of, the vision that Daniel receives back here. And then to jump to verse 14, um, John continues to describe attributes that we can read in Daniel as well. In Daniel 7, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels were ablaze. So here I can see John is trying to um, imagine... And this is what he's probably thinking when he's describing. He's going back to Daniel at this point. The Ancient of Days reference is a very Old Testament term um, which attributes the deity, the wisdom, the holiness, and the purity and honor of God. And further, the eyes like blazing fire can represent a warrior, which we see in the Son of Man, a person who has an authoritative presence and his eyes are fierce to any opposition that is in front of him. In verse 15, his feet were like bronze, 
glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Here, the word for bronze is one of those words that only occurs here in the entire New Testament. Um, So they've debated what it actually means, but pretty much it just means an alloy metal that's shiny and bright. So yeah, that's the trivia question for you. (laughs) Um, Yes. But the the symbolism behind that is that the, the sturdy foundation that Christ has, the purity and the brilliance of his foundation... And his voice was like the sound of rushing water, which also alludes to Old Testament um, descriptions of the nature of God's voice. And this is where it gets interesting in verse 16. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. To preempt that, we read in verse 20, that Jesus um, describes the seven stars being the angels of the seven churches. So see, we have this glorious vision of Christ and he's there with stars in his hands. I think this means when I was reading it that Christ has the possession, the providence, the sovereignty, the care over these seven angels that they ultimately have provision over the churches as well. So see that, imagine that vision of Christ with the seven stars in his hand. At the time, it appears on a coin of Domitian's reign that depicts the emperor's deceased son as Jupiter sitting on the globe in a posture of world dominion. So imagine that. The coin's inscription calls for divine Caesar, son of the emperor Domitian. And the imagery shows him extending his hands to seven stars to display his divinity and power. But see here, John has already identified Jesus as the ruler of kings on earth, and the imagery of the seven stars fits the book's larger context, which contrasts the reign of Christ and the rule of the, and the imperial rule. So interestingly, can you see, probably in movies or something, you've seen coins um, back in the day where they would look like that. I feel like this is a direct contrast of Christ and the imperial reign. But even there, it goes further. Christ having the double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. The deities of that time, Apollo had a bow, Athena had a spear, but the weapon of choice for Christ was a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. The weapon symbolized Christ's reign would be the power of his word against his adversaries. And finally, he would be able to ensue judgment or blessing through that weapon as well. And then his countenance as bright as the sun just shows his glory and his brilliance. So you see, we have that vision. (laughs) We have that vision of Christ. Revelation can be understood through its genre of realising that it is a bit wacky, apocalyptic prophecy in a letter. It can be understood because Christ has revealed what everything means in the Old Testament beforehand. And lastly, Revelation is relevant for today. If we continue in verse 17, 
This is John's response, the response of his overwhelm, um, as if you're seeing a great, amazing view before you. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. So can you imagine that? You're seeing this amazing vision. You're overwhelmed. You fall down in worship because you cannot fathom what it is. And then all of a sudden, Christ comes and places his hand on your shoulder and says, do not be afraid. I think revelation can be understood because Christ reveals himself to us in a way that we will understand him. John couldn't really fathom or understand the entirety of the vision, but Jesus knew that. He knew that, and it amazes me that he came and he just placed his hand on his shoulder and said, do not be afraid. I am the living, I am the beginning and the end. Christ knows what you need of him and he will reveal himself to help you understand who he is. But further today, I feel like with the um, commissioning as well, I found so much comfort and peace in this passage because realizing that Christ in all of his glory was standing amidst the seven lampstands as we read in verse 20. The seven lampstands, oh sorry, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So right at the start of the vision, John sees these lampstands and then this figure appears amidst the lampstands. And I think for me, I was taken back that Christ is in the midst of the churches. And Christ has an angel that oversees every church. So Revelation is relevant today in that little Windsor Road here in Red Hill. We are in the palm of Christ's hands and he is in our midst. We are in his midst. And we have an angel looking over our church. For me, that gives me so much joy and freedom and peace knowing that whatever this year happens or whatever comes in any ministry, in whatever we do, in in any LTG group, in any dinner of eight that we have, in any Bible study, in any youth church, it has assured me that Christ is in the midst of this church, that he is so presently providing for us, he is so presently caring for us, that he is there in all of his glory with a double-edged sword looking out for us. But I feel there's also a responsibility for us too, as we read the next few chapters of Revelation, is each note to each church, where Christ um, blesses and judges the spiritual condition of each church. So I feel it's right for all of us to, to let the Spirit convict us as, it, as he does. As we read how Jesus is talking to these churches and realizing that that is still relevant for today. 
that this text, this apocalyptic prophecy letter, wasn't just for Ephesus. It wasn't just for Thyatira. It was for Windsor Road Baptist Church. So I pray that My prayer is that I will be able to be obedient to the Lord, that I will be able to listen to him and see where he's leading the youth and the young adults. And I, 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 I put that to you to keep me accountable, that um, you would help me trust that Christ is in the midst of this church and that him and his glorious vision is the spiritual reality behind what we can see. So thank you, and let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the book of Revelation, Lord, that we can read it, it is real, we can understand it, and it is so relevant for right here and right now. So Christ, we just surrender this church to you, Lord, and may it be yours, Lord. May we rest in the palm of your hand. Um, May we find peace knowing your provision, your protection, your care, your glorious riches, Lord, are just behind the veil of what we can't see, Lord. So Christ, would you help us have faith in God, have faith that you are calling us here, have faith that the ministries that you have provided are for a purpose, God, and we just give them back to you, Lord. They're rightfully yours, Jesus, and we just pray Um, your will to be done here in this space this year. In Jesus, your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.